So, uh, we have a small group tonight. That's that's nice. This group, uh, usually I don't do this as much for this group, but it's because it's a small group, let's, we can use it as a, a dialogue, a question and answer, or if people have comments they want to make, or um, something they would like to talk about, we'll open it up that way. Uh-huh. You know, at the beginning of all the Bhantes who read this meditation, they say, well, sit so that your spine is straight, but they never give a reason. They never give any reasoning to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, in our tradition, the reason is that if you sit up straight, you can breathe more easily. Sit up straight, let your, uh, even bring your shoulder blades uh, towards each other. So it opens your chest up, so breathing can be better. Uh, we don't talk a lot in our tradition about the chakras or, you know, energy flowing down. That's just not kind of a Theravadan uh, part of what we talk about. But I, I know people will talk about that. If, you're, if your back is straight, if your energy is flowing in a better way. Um, but it's also an easier way to sit. If you're sitting for a long period of time, what you'll discover is you are actually more comfortable if your back is straight. And so those are the reasons that I'm, I don't know if other people have other reasons. Um, uh-huh, did you want to say something? Okay, I thought, okay, <laughs> I thought you had your hand up. Oh, okay. Did you? Did anybody want to say any more about the back? Why we have a straight back? Oh, that's pretty easy. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. The chanting is the Sri Lankan language. The what? The chanting is the Sri Lankan language. Did you say the champagne? The champagne. champagne. Oh, the champagne. <laughs> I was going to say, well, Polly, you know, Polly might be the champagne of the. <laughs> We prefer it over Sanskrit. Um, the chanting is all in Pali. It's not in the it's not in Sinhalese, which is the, the the language they speak in Sri Lanka. So our liturgical language is Pali, which is similar to Sanskrit. So Pali is the it was the first. Uh, it's a written language. It was the first language about three to four hundred years after the Buddha died. It, the, all, until then, all of his teachings were memorized and chanted. And then they were first written down about three or four hundred years after his life. And they were written in Pali. And so later they were then written in Sanskrit. But uh, the Theravadan tradition has kept Pali. So it's more concise than English because there are just a limited number of sounds, and then you look at the English translation, and it's much longer. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it'll seem the opposite too, depending on the phrasing and the words. Yeah. It's and we, you know, we do we do both languages and several are are all English and so that's it's really good to look at that. That's a good way to kind of study the language and the and the yeah. I think they have uh, English is harder probably. Poly, poly. Our monks 
who grew up in Sri Lanka know Sinhalese, then they study Pali, then they study Sanskrit, uh, and most of them have studied and speak Tamil, and now they all speak English if they come here, so they're really, linguistically, they're about four languages ahead of most of us. So uh, they're good Pali teachers, too. But it's, it's, the pronunciation is more regular in Pali. English is... We have, we, yeah, but are, are we having it this summer? <laughs> Starting in July? So on Saturday, we have a chanting group that, that meets for just 20, 30 minutes after the Saturday service. And it's, we're, we're learning chanting, but it's also a great way to learn Pali because we're learning all the sounds and then we're learning what it means at the same time. And we have a class one, one Saturday a month. Instead of the chanting, we have a Pali class. And I think we'll start that up again in July when Bhante Bhadia comes back. <laughs> of course, Bhante Asaji is a great teacher too, so he could be doing it, but he's pretty busy. We're, we're, we're pretty busy till Bhante Bhadia gets back and can pick it up again. Uh, similar to Sanskrit, and the Sanskrit is what the Mahayana tradition uses. And so the, the same, their, their teachings are written in Sanskrit. So, it's a good question, though. Did you want to ask something now? So some of those questions, like the wasp, I mean, we can we can try to, you know, catch it with a, a cup and a piece of paper, but sometimes, and you know, you the Buddha always talked about the middle path and be moderate in things. So if there's if there's a stinging insect in the house and you can't safely get it out, um, and especially if you have children or if you're worried, it's that's that's can be a serious uh, bite. So you have to do in in that case. I think you have to just make a decision if, how important it is to get the animal out of the house, and and try to do it safely, but then move to more drastic means. But I think it's always a question of moderation. And um, I'll tell you one thing that was really helpful for me. Bhante San, who's in Florida now, who was one of our monks, we used to ask uh, a lot of questions like, what if you have spiders in your house or termites in your house? And um, one thing he said that, that I really I thought, wow, I loved his answer. He said, you know, one thing that they learned as, as I guess, as young monks, because most of them became, uh, they started training and living in the monastery when they were like 10 or 11, 
if you keep your if you keep your room or your house really clean and you sweep it every day and you keep the you know the the spider webs swept out of the corners then you don't have so many bugs so that the being really uh, neat and clean in your housekeeping is a way to prevent having some of the issues with bugs and I thought, that's the best reason to keep your house clean that I'd ever heard. And I thought, you know, it was so practical, right? So you can eliminate a lot of that, uh, what to do with the critters just by the preventative measures that you take. Um, like I have a dog, so I know when I was living in, in the desert in California, the ants would come in, and if they could find any kind of food, you know, in the little cabins that we lived in, they would just, they were there because there were so many ants. They just are everywhere in the in the high desert. And so I had to learn to, that the thing that I brought dog food in wasn't tight enough to keep the ants out. So I had to get that changed. And I had to be meticulous with, you know, cleaning up after my dog ate and keeping everything just there was no food in my little cootie. So... That, that made it so simple I didn't have ants anymore once I learned what the reason was they were coming in. And, um, and it was great to have a no food that was in the cootie because it, it was, uh, it was nicer without any food there. So, uh, that, some of those things are just practical things that we can do. But, uh, but, but if our house is being eaten by termites, it's not practical to walk away from our houses, right? So we have to do what we have to do to keep our house uh, safe because we don't want the, you know, the rafters falling down on us. So I think it's always a question, like I used to think nothing of like breaking a, a spraying a wasp nest. And I think I'm, I'm much more, the things I'm a lot more attentive to are things like, if there's even a little bitty wasp nest trying to move it or get, you know, get it safely away from a house, um, or, uh, not using so many chemicals around the house that I know are killing, making, making the be bug free, but kind of kill, overkill. And so I think we use our own discernment with that one. Um, the the thing I notice with mosquitoes, because I still haven't found too many good reasons to justify the existence of mosquitoes, except there are birds that eat them and f- frogs and things. But um, I noticed that when I started paying attention to myself, if I'd feel any little anything, you know, I'd be whap slapping those mosquitoes. And and I'm I'm much better about that. If there are mosquitoes, I I can I've trained myself most of the time to be a little more gentle, and if I can, like brush the mosquito off. Um, but but I'll try to wear clothes that might protect me too from the mosquito bites. Those bugs you're talking about that get in the house, and so I don't know if this is what the Buddha would suggest, but. I had, I, I let them in the winter, they could stay in my house as long as they were walking back and forth on the ceiling. 
But when they got old and tired enough that they fell and dropped on the floor, then I'd pick them up and I'd take them outside. And it was cold, and I knew that most of them didn't survive. But I didn't. I that was my that was a decision I made. So maybe I created some karma for myself. Self, but I tried to let them peacefully be in the house with me as long as possible. Uh huh. I've heard it expressed, say a yogi more or less thinks you're in the wrong place and give a good squat. And what you do is you chant own them because then you are a tool for their advancement on the spiritual path. <laughs> so if you look at it that way, you're actually helping them advance. Squat. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, that that reason doesn't satisfy me. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't I don't want to take on that uh, position of being the person who speeds them up in there. The last resort, it's the black and white where like I just self defense and prevention are are the better things, but. Um, but, you know, our houses are not, we don't want to be letting them thrive and build communities, so. That, I guess, was the more healthy question. Yeah, I don't think, I, I think we all, when we first get inspired by the Buddhist teachings, it can be easy to, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to let mosquitoes just feed on me from now on. And... uh we don't have to. We don't have to be that extreme. Monte, did you want to say something? <laughs> uh, Mary, did you? Yeah. Don't destroy your property, And I, at some point, I couldn't. It wasn't my property, and people wouldn't do anything to remove them. I couldn't afford to, so I had to put a poison in the holes. But it was, it was not on me. It was that, that's, I couldn't look at it any other way. I was protecting myself. I was trying to get rid of them, but they weren't going anywhere. So it became a defense. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, and then at that point it was they were in the wall, so they're going to destroy the property now and take over, and then I have to move. Yeah, that's and it's so it's 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 all based on our intention. So if our intention is just a whap, I just you know, want to kill that mosquito, that might not be the purest intention. But but if we're, we need to protect ourselves from harm, because those bee stings could kill somebody. And we have to protect our homes um, without overkill. You know, we're, we, that's, our intention is not to be, um, you know, I, I mean, I probably was, 
really happy to kill mosquitoes growing up as a kid. And <laughs> they weren't even the they weren't even pollinator bees, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we do we do our best, right? So if we can do way find ways to be to prevent the infestations or to if we that the random bug if we can rescue it when we can, but um, we 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 have to. Be, we're in this world. We have to be realistic, but we don't want to, like, be a delight delight in killing them. <laughs> when I grew up as a kid, I, there might be one or two of you who know had this experience. I I grew up in Houston, so they had these those uh, mosquito the trucks that were just blowing out like a pickup truck with big tanks on the back and they just blew fumes out of the end and they'd drive all over the neighborhoods in the evening because they were, I mean, mosquitoes were a huge problem in, in Houston. But we were so naive as kids. We ran after those trucks in the evening. That was uh, fun in the summer. We'd run after the trucks and, look, look, we're in the clouds, we're in the smoke. So it probably killed more of us than it killed mosquitoes. So I always, when I think of mosquitoes, I think it's been a lifelong battle. But our parents let us run in that smoke, and <laughs> all the kids in the neighborhood running after the mosquito trucks. <sighs> so yeah, we we want to we want to uh, just be careful about what we're doing, but not extreme. And that includes eating. Like the Buddha never said, do not eat uh, meat or do not eat living things. But he did have very specific rules, like not to kill them uh, so we wouldn't be a hunter or a fisher, fisherman, uh, and not to have someone like slaughter an animal just for, you know, your, your pleasure. Uh, which would cover pig roast, maybe. I don't. But he, but he, he wasn't extreme. He, he didn't. He even, when some monks would come to him, and they came because they wanted to start division among the, the uh, monastics. They, some, a group of them came and said, "We, we don't think we should be eating any, any uh, uh, animals." So we think all monastics should be vegetarians. And the Buddha said, no, that's not, wasn't going to be a rule. And he knew that they wanted to create division and, and disharmony. So he knew their real intent wasn't so much about what they ate, but it was about they were really trying to split the, the students of the Buddha up. But that was, that was always his position because people gave food to the monastics and that would be mean if all someone had was something that had meat in it to refuse that food they were offering, because it was probably their best, what the best they could offer. So um, there were other groups in the Buddhist time who were very extreme, like the Jains. 
and they were uh, they wouldn't they would only eat food that fell off of a tree. They they wouldn't eat eat even plants that had been grown or that they had to pick. And they were so extreme that they were always they were one of the groups that was always arguing or sending people to argue with the Buddha. And the Buddha would, would always go for the middle path. We can't be so extreme that we can't live on this earth. That's, we're here to live a human life. And so he, he always talked about that and always saw that that extreme viewpoint about things was, uh, uh, made it, made it very impractical and difficult to live a human life. Mm-hmm. Well, the, talk to a Jane. Now, today they, to, yeah, it, would, it was for them, but that was like the extreme asceticism that the Buddha practiced for for a number of years, and that's when he he almost died, and someone, a little a child, gave him something to eat, and that's when he realize this is not the way to find the truth about suffering because I'll die before that. And that's when he just that's when he then decided I have to take care of this body and feed it and the whole middle path started developing right with that. And uh and that became an important part of his teaching. Those extremes weren't helping anybody. A lot of it's common sense, yeah. Right, the extreme asceticism, and the ex- then the other end was extreme hedonism. If you think, you know, there's nothing after life, and this life is the only thing we've got, then you can, then that you can do anything, and you should do anything because we're just supposed to enjoy this life we have. And so he was, he was, he was coming from those kind of extremes that were going on in his society. And that, and that, and that what he did was come. Moderation was a big part of what he taught. So, any other quick questions? There's a, a great little book. Then it's about a debate that a, a group of monastics had, um, and someone someone made a PDF of it because it's it's a small book, and and he and he made a PDF, and I have the PDF. <clears throat> I think Bande Asaji does, and we we we'll try to get that uh, printed up because the, it was I mean it was a debate, but there are really good points from both sides, and it's about whether uh, Buddhists should be vegetarians or not. So it's just got good arguments, and it's something good to read and just see. Uh, You draw your own conclusions. The purpose is not to convince people one way or the other. That's always a personal uh, decision, you know, what you're you're eating. But in in the precepts, that, that precept is about the precept of not to kill a living being. It's really about doing no harm. And it includes ourselves and it includes 
all other beings, you know, to be, to be as harmless in this world as we can be. And if for us that means that we don't want to eat, uh, you know, beef, or we don't want to eat a certain food, or uh, that's, that's our own personal choice, and, and we should respect the choices other people make, but uh, it's, it's broader than the issue about what food we eat. So it's always a good discussion. And we can, it's a good discussion to keep having with ourselves as we, as we uh, develop in our practice. Okay. I think if I'm, let's see, I have my watch on. Yeah. It's about time to be done. So thank you. It's, that's really, you had good, wonderful questions. Thanks. <laughs>